we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We clap our hands together for the Lord and His glory and for His goodness that He has shown us and continues to show us. And we love worshiping Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we gather together, let's gather around the Word. Look at Psalm 96, the first three verses, and follow along as I read and get your hearts ready to worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Let's gather your hymnals, everybody. Jump to your feet and do just that. Hymn 231. Come, Christians, join to sing. Welcome those around you to worship this morning. What a privilege it is to gather together again to be a part of this fellowship at First Baptist Church. Okay, I ask you this pretty often, and I'm just going to continue to do it. Have you been in the Word this week? Oh, what a sweet privilege it is. What a, what a great responsibility. But, but to know that we as a fellowship of believers gather around the same text, struggle with the same text, are challenged and enlightened by the same text by God's Holy Spirit, that is a privilege here at First Baptist Church. So we hope that you will, will continue to do that and, and let that be a mark of who we are. 
If you're a guest with us today, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, There's a card in the front of, of the pew back right in front of you, and I just encourage you to fill that out. Let us know. Let us be your friend. And as the offering plate comes by later, just drop it there and just so we can have a record of your attendance. You know, this has been a challenging text this week. Amen? There's much to, to look at and, and discover about what, who God is, and, and He's always true to His nature. And so one of the things that I think is a miracle is that God listens to us at all. As God gives audience to His disciples and this woman, that He allows us to cry out to Him, and that in His timing and in His nature, He responds What a privilege it is that we can go to our God and that he hears us. He knows us and wants us to cry out before him. So if we take anything away from this story, and there's much to take away, let's rejoice the fact that God, when we cry out, even when it seems like he's being silent, he hears us. So as we worship today, one of the things that I I, I wrestled with and I I asked the Lord for is his grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve his favor, and yet he gives it to us anyway. So as we sing today, let that fill your hearts that God loves you, and he has mercy for us all if we will repent and follow him as we should. Let's pray together. Great God, we come to you today acknowledging the fact that your word says that when we gather, you are here. And so we welcome you to this place that is set aside to worship your great name. As we come, fill our broken lives, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Show us the path forward where where we are more like you every day. And this church is is more like where you want us to be in this city as we seek for the welfare of the city right here where we are. Father, this day is yours. Move us. Shake us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So follow along now as I read from Genesis 12, 1 to 3, God's words to Abraham as he is indeed setting this nation apart from the rest of the world. Follow along now. Go forth from your country, he says, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. May God bless the reading of his word. Now let's sing about that great grace, everybody. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. Hymn 328, I know you want to sing this one. Let's do it.
<laughs> All right, kiddos, y'all come down for kids' time. Come on down. And look at them come. Man, y'all are running. Y'all are awesome. I'm glad. I like it too. I like it too. Man, y'all look so great. Y'all look so great. This is a treasured moment for me to be with you to talk about Jesus together. Is that okay? Well, this morning I want to tell you a story that Jesus told. He told a story about a man who invited lots of people to come to a really big dinner or banquet. Any of you have ever been invited to a big dinner or banquet? Maybe like Thanksgiving? Yeah. Something like, y'all done that, right? I, That's I right. That's right. Many of us have had special invitations to special dinners. Well, Jesus sent out this huge invitation to people, but the day of the banquet, he sent out his servants to remind them of the invitation, and all of them said, we can't come. They said, we can't. One said, you know, I just got too much work to do. The other one said, you know, I just got married and I've got to attend to things that uh, attend to my marriage and home. The other one said, you know, I, I, I have something else that I have, to, I have to go do. I've got to take care of work. All of them said no. And the guy who threw the party, the dinner, got really upset. And he told his servants, now listen, this is what I want you to do. Because none of them would come, I want you to go out and I want you to invite everyone who's sick and hurting and the blind and the poor, I want you to invite them to come. So the servants went and did that. They invited all of them and all of them came. But the servants came back and said, listen, we still have a lot of room at the table. And he said, go back out and I want you to go to every street, every street corner, uh, every 7-Eleven. I want you to go everywhere. I want you to tell everyone you are invited to my banqueting table. Now, this is an important lesson that Jesus wanted to teach. Jesus wanted to teach us that he came for everybody. Doesn't matter what they look like, what color they are, where they're from, or how much money they have. Jesus said, I have come for everyone. And so that is a good reminder for you and for me that just as Jesus has come for everyone, we have to set our hearts for everyone too, right? Doesn't matter where they are or what they look like. And that's a good reminder for us, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the stories that Jesus told that remind us of very important things. Lord, help us to love people even when they don't look like us or live differently than us. Help us to love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's kids said, amen. Thank you guys so much. Church, your, your worship these last two weeks has just been incredible. I just am so blessed by you singing. Having that sound come back at me this way is one of the greatest joys of my call. So thank you for singing. And I know you're going to say, well, just keep picking the songs we like. I know that's... I'm, <laughs> your job is just to sing. I'll, I'll pick them. You sing. But really, really what a blessing. Um, as we, as we, and I know all of you are very grateful for our low brass section, particularly in, in, in hymns like that. <laughs> And now as we prepare to hear from the word now, I want you to, to sing this beautiful setting of Psalm 23, that indeed God will supply all of our needs. My shepherd will supply hymn 68, standing together, let's truly worship.
be seated. My, my, what encouragement, what words for us as they sing. Thank you, thank you, choir. So um, parents grabbed me after the 8.30 service and told me that um, their daughter was quite disappointed because I didn't give her the opportunity 
to, for her to see my socks <laughs> so that she could see what was on my socks. So if anyone's wondering, um, I've got coffee mugs on my socks today. <laughs> Maybe Chris and I can start a competition to see the craziest socks we could possibly wear for your enjoyment. It is good to be with you. If you're new with us, my name's Danny Panter. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff. If you're watching from home, I'm glad you're here in worship with us. We love and trust the Word of God, and it's our prayer that we faithfully hear it and do it together. I hope you feel the same way. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew. In particular, we've been in the miracles of Matthew. And the miracles of Matthew do a lot of things for us, but one of the questions that these miracles tend to answer for us over and over again is, what is the kingdom of God like? The incarnate Son of God came and begins to usher in his kingdom, and it looks very differently than the kingdom that the Pharisees have built and others have built looks very different than the kingdoms of men. And so Jesus, through living life with his disciples, um, is teaching them and the community around him and now us what the kingdom of God is like. But let me remind you, the primary recipients of Jesus's teaching, the target of his answering of that question is primarily his disciples. More than anything, he needs and wants his disciples to get it, to understand what the kingdom of God is like. So disciples are his primary audience. So with that said, let's stand together. Let's read. We're only going to read two and a half verses. This is Matthew 15, verses 21 through part of 23. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, your people, in this place, in this part of the city, we say to you with great affection and trust that we trust your word. And so lead us by it today and guard your servant now as I speak these words to this church family, which I love. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. When we read these verses in Matthew 15, verse 21, it says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. It can be assumed almost always when Jesus ventures to a new place, a new city or a new town, that his disciples are very close behind. In fact, they are with him. And we know that for certain because just a few verses later, we hear the disciples chime in. But we know the disciples are following Jesus. It doesn't ever have to be explicit. It certainly isn't here. We can trust that the disciples are not far behind Jesus wherever he goes. That was the purpose. But we also know that this was the pattern that Jesus had set for his disciples from the very beginning. Remember when he found a few of those disciples and he said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of? Absolutely. So he set that pattern from the beginning. Where I go, 
you go. And we know he did that, not haphazardly, but with a very keen purpose. In John 17, that high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this for his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus has a particular goal for these men. John 14, 12 through 14 says this, get this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. And then, of course, we have Matthew 28, 18 through 19. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a tall order for 12 men, isn't it? Jesus had a grand design and purpose as he called these men to himself, invited them to follow along with me. Very literally, that's what he meant. It wasn't hyperbole or a metaphor. Literally, he invited them to step by step follow him, to watch what I'm doing, hear what I'm saying, make observations, ask questions, ask questions learn from me. He expected them as he sent them into the world when he would ascend to the Father, as they would be filled with the Spirit of God to change the world, to make disciples of all nations. He had to prepare them. He had to get them ready. So the Gospels are not just the story of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross and the resurrection and all that means for us in his church. But the Gospels also are these beautiful stories of the disciples in training under Jesus' life and teaching. Every encounter, every miracle, every word, every situation that Jesus finds himself in and initiates was done for the sole purpose for his disciples to be overhearers and overseers of what he is doing, to engage in what he's doing so that they can know what the kingdom of God is really like so that they can fulfill the commission that he would give them at the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And so we have the privilege of entering into their classroom, their graduate study program, and the disciples would faithfully follow, for the most part, faithfully follow, watch, and listen. And they would ask questions. This wasn't something new, of course. We know the rabbinic culture of the day. They, a rabbi would invite young men to become his disciples, and they would follow in the footsteps of that disciple. Wherever he went, they would go. Whatever he would do, they would try to do, and they would dialogue and ask questions. Jesus wasn't inventing something new. This is the way learning took place. This is the way transformation happened. We have something to learn from that, don't we? For some reason, in the Western mind, we're convinced the best way to learn is in a classroom with someone standing up front telling the people sitting in their chairs what they need to know. And then we expect that somehow they're going to stand up from that classroom and be totally different people when they exit the room. But what we know is that that's not true at all, that there has to be other components. And Jesus knew that that component was, you learn by following me. And you learn by me unveiling to you as I make these encounters and speak these words and do these miracles. You learn what the kingdom of God is like so that when you're trained up and equipped in all the ways that I want you to be trained up and equipped, I can actually send you into the world and you'll fulfill the commission that I have called you to do. 
Jesus was getting these men ready to be sent into the world. And this encounter with this Canaanite woman is one doozy of a lesson for them to learn. It's a powerful lesson for them to learn. For them then and for us now. Jesus brings everything out into the open. That's his aim in this encounter. He wants to bring everything out to the light. The first thing he wants to expose, which is not new, is this woman's extraordinary faith. We know that this is Jesus' common aim. He has done this before. Remember that Roman centurion that said, I know you don't have to be present to heal my servant. You don't have to be present. Just say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus said, I haven't met anyone in Israel of faith like yours. Extraordinary faith. Jesus wanted to draw out extraordinary faith. And that's what he's doing with this Canaanite woman. That's what he does. So he draws out her faith. How? Listen, he draws out her faith by forcing her to overcome socially acceptable obstacles of the day, being who she is and where they are. There's a reason that Matthew uses the word Canaanite woman. You're not going to find it anywhere in the New Testament, any other place in the New Testament to describe a person. But Matthew wants to be very clear for us and depict for us the great chasm and disparity between Jesus and his disciples as Jewish men and this Canaanite woman. Uh, the word Canaanite uh, brought very clear ideas to the eyes of these readers back then. That a Canaanite woman, idolater, pagan, Gentile. All of which, when the, the people of Israel were entering into the promised land, God said, hey, for now, you, you, you have nothing to do with them. Don't get mixed up into their idolatrous ways. And so Matthew says, I want you to know that the woman that these men are about to encounter is very different. She is a Gentile pagan woman. And let me, let me let you know the disciples were keenly aware of who she was and where she was from. They didn't have to ask. They didn't have to ask. But what does she do? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Isn't that remarkable? Here's this, this Canaanite, this Gentile pagan woman who knew enough about the scriptures and the promises of the coming Messiah and all that she's already heard about this man, Jesus, to call him son of David. It's remarkable. Have mercy on me, O Lord, because my daughter is oppressed in cruel ways by a demon. And the implication that we have is that it wasn't just one time that she said it. She said it over and over and over again. The disciples say, would you just, she's crying out. She was begging and she wasn't let anyone else get a word in edgewise. She was desperate and she was begging Jesus. What does Jesus do? He doesn't say a word. Not a word. He ignores her. And here we find the first obstacle or test that this woman must press through in order to show her extraordinary faith. You see, she was a woman. It was perfectly acceptable in the day and expected for a Jewish man to ignore or not speak to a woman in public, even their own family, and especially a rabbi. 
That's what was expected. She was used to being treated that way. In addition, she was a Gentile pagan woman. And as I already mentioned, these were the people that God had warned his own people about, idol worshipers. And so Jesus' silence came as no surprise to her. She was accustomed to it, but she was desperate. And the silence only lasted a moment. And even after the disciples chimed in, send her away, she was desperate enough to stick around, to press through test number one. But then Jesus does turn to talk to her against the demands and wishes of his apostles. They just wish she could leave. But he turns and talks to her. In verse 24, he says, You know I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Obstacle number two. And what's her response? She presses through. And she kneels before Jesus and says, Lord, help me. Her desperation and her faith in this son of David leads her through to press through that second test. She won't take no for an answer because she's in need and because she knew she was appealing to the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God. And now we find ourselves with obstacle number three. My goodness. If it's not awkward enough, what does Jesus say next? He says, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, this just went from awkward to unpleasant, didn't it? Let's be honest. Many of us this week, when we read these words, maybe some, it's been a while since you read it, when you read these words, you're like, is that my Jesus? Isn't Jesus full of grace and compassion and mercy? Uh, Of all people, he's the, the last person I would expect to say such troubling things, such condescending things. And could you have come up with a worse analogy than dog? The whole time his disciples were like, preach it, Jesus. The Jewish people of the day would often refer to Gentiles as dogs. Disciples have probably said it once or twice or more. So this woman was used to these terms. But Jesus uses the term in a slightly different way that plays into her wit and faith. Rather than using the normal term dog, he uses the cute term for dog. Doesn't make it any better, but the term he uses is little dogs. At the time, most dogs were feral. They were running the streets, scavengers. At the very least, if you had a pet dog, they were guard dogs. You didn't cuddle with dogs in the first century, not like we do today. But nonetheless, Jesus is doing exactly what most would have expected him to do in this situation to this kind of woman. I bring the word of God to my people that's not for you. In fact, the disciples wanted him to say these kind of biting things, but she knocks down the third obstacle. Now listen to the wit of this woman that you don't really capture in the English. 
She says, but even the little dogs eat the little crumbs. The same diminutive term that Jesus used for little dogs, she turns around and uses for little crumbs. The faith of this woman in the face of this apparent condescension and prejudice, she says, I know, I know by faith that I am worthy of the little crumbs that falls from the master's table. And in that moment, and in that moment, the tests fade away, the abruptness and condescension melts off of Jesus' face, and in front of the disciples who are cheering Jesus on the whole time, celebrates this woman's extraordinary faith. This extraordinary faith. Her faith was huge because she knew and believed, even if she wasn't aware of all the wordings of the promises of Abraham, she knew that the promise of God to Abraham was a promise for her and a promise that most of Israel had forgotten, especially the disciples. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, even Canaanite, Gentile, pagan women. And Jesus says, I'm putting you on a pedestal. And I want my disciples to see it. That the promises of God from the very beginning belong to people like you. So not only was this woman's extraordinary faith, extraordinary faith put on display, but also the disciples' great prejudice. That was Jesus' intent the whole time, to lull them into a situation where they would champion his demeanor and words and go a complete 180. From the beginning, Jesus plays into the deep prejudices held by most of the Jews of the day, not least of these, the disciples. He ignored the woman. They didn't even inquire. Jesus, why aren't you stopping and listening to her? Why won't you help her like you've helped everyone else? No, they play right into Jesus' hands. Instead of asking why he doesn't help, they say, send her away. Send her away. Will you please just make it stop? She just won't stop crying out to us. Just send her on. Send her on. They weren't bothered or shocked by Jesus' behavior and words because he did exactly what any man in his position would have done to show disdain for this pagan woman. In fact, he did everything that they wanted him to do. Let's move on from this. Let's tend to our own. They expected Jesus to ignore. They even hoped he'd send her away. And they even expected and championed the biting words. What they didn't expect was the complete 180. They didn't expect Jesus to celebrate this woman's profound faith in the promises of God. I sure wish I could have heard the questions after this encounter. Or maybe they were too convicted to say a word. But without a word from Jesus, without a rebuke, they got... They received the truest glimpse of the kingdom of God at work through Jesus. He is the Messiah for every nation, every people, regardless of color, 
economic status or political persuasion. And at the same time, graciously and gently, their prejudice was drawn to the service so it could be cauterized. So they could see themselves for who they really are. We gotta root this out if we're gonna be commissioned to make disciples of all nations. That's, that's what Jesus wanted to do in this encounter. What are we to do with this? What are we to do with this? Just a few thoughts. The first is a no-brainer, but let me say it. Prejudice must not, cannot exist in Jesus' church. Anywhere. In any person. From the very beginning, Jesus set the stage for what he was doing. The Father set the stage for what he was going to do in redemption of all the earth. He said, you will be a blessing to all families as promised to Abraham. When the angels during the incarnation came to proclaim what the arrival of Jesus, they said, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Jesus said out of his own mouth, for God so loved the world, which was a staggering statement to a Pharisee like Nicodemus. To the world, really? Yes, to the world. And then he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. From the very beginning, the work of God and redemption of the whole earth was meant for every people, every tribe, every nation. The glory of the gospel, listen, the glory of the gospel is not only what Jesus did, but for whom he did it. All of us. All of us. All those, regardless of what they look like, where they're from, whether poor or rich, all those who would put their faith in Jesus. So in the same way that Jesus gently and graciously exposes their prejudices so that they can faithfully obey the call of the gospel, because prejudice cuts against the very heart of the gospel. Isn't that what the enemy wants to do, by the way? The enemy has much to gain by separation and isolation. The enemy has much to gain by saying, you can't overcome these kind of differences between you two. They just do their own thing and you do your own thing. You worship your way, they worship their way. The enemy will use separation and isolation to stop the advancement of the gospel. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is much greater than the enemy of the world. The fastest growing church Right now in the world, you want to know where it is? Iran. Isn't that incredible? We celebrate that. We celebrate that. But prejudice cuts against the heart of, of, of the gospel, advancement of the gospel. And so what do we need to do? What do we need to do? The first one's a no-brainer, is to hang out with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. The only way that we can have real transformation, that Jesus can root out false perspectives and attitudes and prejudice against other people around us, even in our very own communities, is to spend time with Jesus. And what I don't mean by spending time with Jesus is just showing up to a Bible study three or four times a week. If we follow the pattern of Jesus, transformation only happens when we step out of the boat and try to follow Jesus and say, I want to go where you are. Take me where you are. Listen, it's awfully safe in a classroom, but real transformation happens when you take a step of faith, even when it's shaky and small and say, Lord, I'm willing to go to uncomfortable places and situations 
That's what I mean by hanging out with Jesus. Listen, I need that, you need that. I don't have this all together. I need as much transformation as many of you need transformation. I need to root out as much prejudice as you need to root out prejudice in your own life. That only happens by hanging out with Jesus. And as just as Jesus loved these disciples, just as he was gracious and compassionate and tender with these men, just as he was so willing to do whatever it took to root out all that he needed to root out, so he does with us. We are his children, sons and daughters, and he wants to take us along the same journey that his disciples went. Will you follow me and I will make you fishers of men if you're willing to step out and actually follow me, get out of the classroom follow me in real life with your own neighbors, your own friendships, and even new uncomfortable ones. We got to do that. Also, not only must we as individuals hang out with Jesus more and more, not just listen to the Word of God, but do the Word of God. That's where transformation happens. But God calls the church, the local church, just like this one, to shed all prejudice so that we can join the disciples in the call to make disciples of all nations. Listen, the things I'm about to say, I say tenderly to you. We make a mockery of the gospel when we can go to the ends of the earth and send teams all over the place as we ought, but keep at arm's length neighbors, whole communities who look and live very differently than ourselves. One of the greatest challenges of the contemporary Western church, like today, especially today, is the need and willingness to ask Jesus to expose our prejudices against our neighbors. Black neighbors, gay neighbors, Latino neighbors, political neighbors, illegal neighbors, poor neighbors. Some of us will say, but Danny, it's just the way that it is. We just happen to be mostly an upper middle class white church family. We're not prejudiced in any way, and you're probably right. Maybe so. But are we willing to ask the question? Are we willing to ask? Are we willing for Jesus to cut into the quick and morrow of our human hearts to expose any prejudice at all? Are we willing to change our thinking and practices in order to shed any perceived prejudices to reach all people? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Gosh, some of the things that we could do, we could spend, this could be a week-long thing, right? What, What could we do to overcome this? One of the things I think we could do is that we could celebrate the faith of other church families in the city as God does great things through them that are very different than our own church family. It doesn't matter, uh, black churches, whatever. Are are we celebrating what God is doing in this city through other church families other than our own, even those that look very differently than our own church family? Are we forging and forming partnerships with churches that look very different than us? I think we should. I think in the same way that Jesus turned around and celebrated this this woman of faith, that we've got to figure out how do we do that in this city? And come along brothers and sister churches who look very different from us, worship very different from us. Maybe that's just one thing that we could do, celebrate and partner with churches. Maybe we as individuals need to go and have uncomfortable conversations with brothers and sisters who look very differently than us. 
Have those tough conversations. Listen, Jesus led his disciples into a lot of uncomfortable situations. Are you willing to go there? It's a worthwhile question. Because although no single church can do or be everything to everybody, I know that, I can't help but wonder if the church of Jesus Christ, his church, no matter where it is in any given city, should ambitiously seek to look like heaven. Every tribe, every nation, a mosaic of nations proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, our Savior, together. Should we seek to look like heaven at First Baptist Church of San Antonio? I hope alongside with me you would say yes. Yes to the glory of God. Does this make you feel uncomfortable? It did the disciples. But what a powerful lesson for them in that moment and a powerful lesson for us. Who will we be? Who will we be? Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful, Lord, for these stories that speak truth to us. It spoke truth to the disciples then and truth to us now, Lord. Lord, we want to be all yours. Uh, all of who we are, we want to be yours. And Lord, we want you, by your grace, to root out every ill-perceived, false, evil perspective and attitude that hampers the advancement of your gospel to all peoples. And Lord, that's individuals, that's church families. Lord, help us, show us. Give us the willingness to do the uncomfortable thing and ask questions and engage and talk and fellowship. We want to be everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to move into a time of response. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Hymn number 330. 330. Listen, come pray. This is a place of prayer. You respond. Come to faith in Christ. Respond and obey the gospel today.
Amen. You may be seated. Please continue to worship. We do so now through our giving. Uh, we have a, the privilege once again to dedicate a home today, so I'd love to invite the Katsitsid family to the stage. What a privilege it is for us to do this together as a church family. We believe in God's design for the family, 
And so it is a joy for us to pray over this home. You guys, come on up. There's Daniela. Awesome. Let's see, Daniela. Oh, she is beautiful. Look at this bow and dress. How are you? As long as you don't see the mic, it's okay. How are y'all doing? Wonderful. So, uh, so grateful that we get to do this together as a church family. As a church family, our challenge, our challenge for you is to love your family and to make disciples and pour in the gospel into your kids and to model for them what it means to live a life of faith in the gospel and walking after Jesus. And then our commitment also is to come alongside them, isn't it? To love them, pray for them, encourage them along the way. So with all that in mind, let's pray together over this family. Father, Lord, we rejoice in you. Lord, we see your beauty and your glory and the life in this family, in Daniela. And Lord, I pray that you just bless her. And I bless this family as they seek to follow you every single day. Protect them. May your face shine down upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, Daniela. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Some... Oh my, I love that. I love that. What a great thing we get to do together. Um, if you have one of these, a worship folder, could you open up to the page that has all these wonderful announcements. There's a lot going on in our church family. If you would just be patient and gracious to me as we walk through all of these together, they're all important. The first one is the Fostering Hope Awareness Concert for Fostering and Adoption. That's February 7th, that this coming um, 7th at 7 p.m. Now, the, the way you get into the door is by bringing items that a new foster family might need like diapers, a bed, car seat, items that a family might not have just immediately once they received a foster child into their home. So um, think of items that might be useful to a new foster family. Bring that on the 7th. But this is for everyone. Our church family, friends, and neighbors, there's a lot of good work to be done in the foster and adoption needs in our city. And God wants to use us to do it. So be a part of that. Area fellowships, as you know, area fellowship is one of the sweetest things that we do as a church family. It's a way that we can connect throughout the city, have real fellowship, dine with one another, uh, ask questions about faith and, and practice uh, in our lives. And so you can be a part of that. If you're not registered, if you haven't signed up to join an area fellowship, you can go online, find out where they're meeting, and there's a host contact number, and see if you can join that home for that area fellowship. That's coming up February 9th. Brand new, we have started what we're calling our discovery classes. Our discovery class is for an attendee that's been here for a long, long time, but has yet to become a member, or someone who's brand new and wants to explore what this church family is all about. Our discovery class is for you. It's an opportunity to learn the history of the church, an opportunity to know what we believe and how you can be a part of what God is doing in this church family through mission and service. Um, it's an opportunity for us to listen to you and what God is doing in your life as well so that you can be very 
very informed as to whether or not you want to be a part of what this God is doing in this church family. So our first one is February 9th. It begins at 8.40 in the morning with a tour around the church and then concludes um, after worship, lunch, and then there's a class in the afternoon to cover a lot of other items. I and Pastor Chris and Pastor Scott will be a part of that. So if you are I've been attending a long time, are new to the church family, come to this discovery class next week. Business Bible lunch from 12 to 1 p.m. beginning February 12th. This is an effort for us to really love our business partners and neighbors really well. Uh, those that live and work uh, around the church family and even beyond. Um, and so we want to invite them to say, hey, on your lunch break, come. Uh, we're going to give you lunch and we're going to encourage you um, as you live and work and do business in the city. So be, make note of that as well. Re-engage. Re-engage is a 14-week um, effort, a part of our Marriage Strong ministry. Re-engage is a marriage program for every single marriage in our church family. It's not just for marriages in crisis, it's for all of us. Because the aim of re-engage is to help us figure out how to apply the gospel in our own marriages. Uh, how does Jesus affect our conversations and how we forgive and how we extend grace and how we overcome conflict? And I don't know about you, but I think all of those topics are relevant for every marriage, regardless of the season that you're in, whether newly married or been married uh, 20, 30, 40 years. So register for re-engage. Lastly, Marriage in 3D is right around the corner, February 21st. Our very own Acleto Rodriguez from um, a local comedian is going to come encourage us. Sign up for that. You can go and do that online. You don't want to miss that at all. Aaron. Aren't you grateful for Pastor Danny? Amen. One of the ways that we affirm marriage in, in this service is that we, we allow couples to, to buy the altar flowers, and these flowers today help us to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Melinda and Kenneth Lucas, and we are just grateful for, for God's providence in their lives. God bless you. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Be thou my vision. dismissed.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.